one of the more drastic examples we use is in retail, if you screw up, yeah, you lose money. But in healthcare, if we screw up, we lose lives. And you can't put prices on lives. It's devastating, right? So we do have to take that extra step to make sure we're careful in what we do and the approach we take. Welcome to Light Data Action, the podcast that's on a mission to help you discover new technology trends and tools and better understand how they affect the world around us. Light Data Action is sponsored and produced by Lumen Technologies, the platform for amazing things. I'm your host, Terry Barbonis, and in each episode, I'll speak with industry executives and thought leaders to discuss how these technologies change the way we do business and how you can stay ahead of the innovation. If you're ready, Let's join the conversation. Hey, everybody. The U.S. healthcare industry has invested billions of dollars in information technology over the past decade, driven by things such as the 2009 Federal Meaningful Use Program that subsidized the adoption of electronic health records. However, despite progress, patients and industry observers have felt that the healthcare industry has lagged behind other industries in their own digital transformation journey. In the meantime, the COVID-19 pandemic comes along and exposes many deficiencies and gaps that served as a wake-up call that healthcare needs to embrace digital transformation by leveraging new and existing technologies. Now, one of the things that could be very helpful to healthcare organizations is to analyze the digital successes and failures that we've seen in other industries and use those to define insights as to how to better define the transformation, innovate the business model, and manage the overall process of organizational change. My guest today has been doing just that, and we're going to find out how in this episode. Kurt Quack is the Chief Information Officer for ProLiance Surgeons, overseeing all technology implementation and maintenance for one of the largest surgical practices in the U.S., with 80 physical locations and 220 surgeons throughout the state of Washington. Prior to his role at ProLiance Surgeons, Kurt was the CIO at Washington Health Benefit Exchange and Providence Health and Services in the Washington region. He holds an executive MBA and a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Washington and is a certified health CIO and fellow within CHIME, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives. Kurt is also involved in various industry organizations, including HIMSS, the Healthcare Information and Management Systems Society, of which he was formerly on the board of the Washington chapter. Kurt, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Uh, thank you for the opportunity, Terry. Really appreciate this. So I'm sure many people in our audience might not have a clear sense of the actual business model that ProLiance Surgeons brings to its to its customers. Personally, I think it's it's quite interesting. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit just to get us going. Yeah, you described a big part of how we are or who we are already with the size and all of that. But our specialty is surgical procedures, primarily orthopedics and sports medicine. But we do expand into ear, nose, and throat and other specialty surgical uh, areas as well, but it's predominantly orthopedics, 
sports medicine. We also have uh, a small handful of doctors on staff with the Seattle Seahawks and the Seattle Mariners, definitely overseeing the health of our superstar athletes, of course, and uh, success of their teams. So that's what we do, and, and that's who we are today. That's really fantastic. Some big name sports teams there. I mean, obviously, Lumen is a sponsor of the of Lumen Field in Seattle, so that's kind of cool, to say the least. Can you discuss how ProLiance Surgeons experiments and innovates within that model? How does technology enable clinical innovation, if you will? Before I get into that, I think it's important to describe how we are structured. So, yeah. so we grow by affiliation with private practices. And we bring them on board to take advantage of the label of ProLiance Surgeons or the brand of ProLiance Surgeons for obviously a lot of benefits, economies of scale and, and other benefits, marketing, uh, the name brand and things like that. But we do allow a, a bit of local autonomy as well, because that's really where they're succeeded. So, so we don't do a wholesale change. They come on board and there are things that they adopt from ProLiance Surgeons, but there's also a number of things that we allow them to maintain for continued local success. So, so that makes it difficult. It's not a homogeneous environment. There's a lot of disparity amongst those 80 physical locations, but we do our best to try to integrate as much as we can. We use the term interoperability quite a bit here and interfacing to aggregate the data from the different systems and manage the aggregated data as one. So, of course, our biggest goal is to allow anyone who is part of ProLiance Surgeons to experience that seamless operations, regardless of what application or system they're on. But just like anything, you know, you, you look at a beautiful car and looks great and clean and fully integrated from the outside. But when you lift up the hood, you see the complexities. And, and that's what we have to keep maintaining, the complexities to ensure that seamless experience for every user here at ProLiance Surgeons. Yeah. In prepping for this conversation today, I, I would say in what I've read, you have stated before in other interviews and things like that, you're pretty open in talking about technology from the perspective of innovating. In other words, I think, I think healthcare for a number of reasons, not the least of which is patient privacy and things like that, organizations tend to be pretty quiet about some of the things that you know they do, or, or to reach out and try to find new insights. Mm -hmm. um, you seem to take the approach of, uh, not the opposite, but you're much more open, it seems, with what I've read in terms of saying, hey, here's what we're doing. Mm. How, do we, how do we enable others? And then at the same time, how do we learn from what others are doing? Is, is that a fair assessment of your mindset? I think that's a very fair assessment and fairly accurate as well. When we promote ProLiance Surgeons, the last thing we want to do is promote our technology. Because at the end of the day, people look up ProLiance Surgeons to get help, uh, physical help, surgical procedures, and, and get health procedures and get health care from ProLiance Surgeons. And that's really what we want to promote. And the key is how do we leverage technology and our infrastructure to enable that excellent health care? to be provided to these uh, patients who need that care from us. So when we talk about innovation and technologies that enable health care, we kind of do that in the back end amongst my peers, like-minded folks that understand the need for technologies to enable health care and kind of limit at that. 
the public, general public doesn't need to know what we're doing on the infrastructure side, storage, cybersecurity, or any of that. All they want to know is, am I going to go into a ProLiance Surgeon's location to get my knee fixed, my elbow fixed, my back straightened out? Whatever your healthcare need is that we can provide here at ProLiance, that's really all they want to know. Sure. I'm also curious, as, a, as an organization that obviously has one particular lens within the healthcare industry as a whole in terms of specifically what you do, your surgical practice and, and so on and so forth, do you find a lot of overlap with the challenges that you have or the things that you have to do for your own innovation as your peers in other aspects of healthcare, for instance, say a CIO for a hospital group or a CIO for um, image clinics. Is there overlaps? Certainly not with all technology, but there's enough overlap where you truly can look at the entire industry and say, what are they doing to solve this? Because I'm having the same issue, maybe slightly from a different lens, but I can learn from that and vice versa. Oh, Terry, certainly, absolutely. Healthcare is healthcare at the end of the day. Right. We, we see people, they need help, healthcare help, and we provide healthcare to make them better, whether it's a hospital, whether it's a primary care office, whether it's a mid-sized a surgical center like us, or, or even those small mom and pop or independent private practices that may have one or two physicians. You see those in the rural areas quite often. A lot of overlaps. We all use things like EMRs, electronic electronic medical records for charting or or diagnosing patients. We have a diagnostic tools everybody uses, whether primary services or surgical or in the hospital. The biggest differences are scales different. Maybe the population that we serve are different. Certain protocols and certain processes are different, but at the end of the day, essence of what we do across all those entities are pretty much the same, thus the overlap in many areas. And not only in technology, but administrative as well, billing systems, liability and insurance, risk management contracts, all the same. So that's why I think it's so, I wouldn't say easy, but it makes sense for folks to traverse within the healthcare industry from different location to different location. And sometimes it does make it difficult for someone from a non-healthcare industry organization to come into healthcare because now you got a huge, you know, learning curve to attack. Not that, you know, it's not the other way around also. It's not that easy to jump into healthcare because uh, culture, the mindset, those are a little different. But at the end of the day, yeah, to answer your question directly, yeah, there's a lot of overlap. And and I suspect some of those challenges coming the other way come again from the fact that healthcare is so regulated that if you're in an industry that doesn't have that type of regulation, your purview is a little different, obviously, because you may not have to worry about some of the same issues that healthcare, as a CIO, you have to think about all the time. It's uh, frightening for a lot of us, the regulation <laughs> and the areas that we always have to yeah. stay on top of. You know, first thing is, of course, the patient health record and the way we have to protect it, protect the patient information from uh, anything, everything that's that tries to attack it, right? Because patients entrust in us to secure their information. It's a very private thing. So, so there's that component of it. Just personal information in addition to health records is also very important to us, but it's not as widely 
you know, known across the board. They think in this healthcare industry means just patient health records. No, privacy is also very important. And we don't specifically, but our, our peer organization that also have to uh, deal with PCI for uh, credit card information and financial information, that also needs to be secured. We sure. don't necessarily manage up to the PCI protocols because we don't store any of that information, but we certainly leverage services that process payments like that. So, so there's a number of things, and that's just a scratch on the surface, Terry. There's a lot of other known regulations as well as regulations that are kind of underneath that we always have to abide to, including quality assurance, quality control, infectious control. Yeah, it's a real iceberg. You know, there's what you see above the surface that a lot of people see and you see in media and you read about. And then there's the things that individuals like yourself have to deal with that is certainly not glamorous, but you have to deal with it on a daily basis. I mentioned in my opening, I talked about our friend, the COVID-19 pandemic and how it exposed you know, many deficiencies and gaps for healthcare providers as it deals with technology and the digital transformation. Can you share examples in 2023, examples of improved customer care that exist for ProLiance today that came about because of what you experienced in the pandemic? I think we were all of us, not just pro-line surgeons, but everybody was really good with uh, infections control and, you know, the, the cadence of how we saw patients on a daily basis. But that really got tested in the last two and a half years because now we needed to go the extra mile to make sure it's fully cleaned, fully prepared. We had to have uh, social distancing in mind so we couldn't have patients in the waiting area anymore. They needed to wait outside or wait in their cars before they were ready to come in. So that kind of pushed the scheduling and registration to a point where we needed to think a little differently. Right. So to address you know, some of those examples, we relied on systems to allow patients to register anytime from anywhere with mobile devices. A lot of times they would come into the office and sit down with the pad or, or they would go to a kiosk and register. Well, now they have an option to do that either at home, pre-register, or, or they could do that on, on, I wouldn't recommend on the way because they have to drive obviously, but when they're sure. at our parking lot in the car waiting, they could pull up their mobile phone and, and register and let us know that they're here from their mobile phone. Kind of like, you know, when you go for a takeout at a restaurant and you kind of register in the parking lot to let them know you're at a certain parking spot, uh, kind of like that, that allows us to prepare for that patient to come in. And that communication really closes the gap in time wasted and effort wasted to make sure they get that seamless care when they come aboard. So there's some of that. Telemedicine was something that was introduced and expanded on here for us when the pandemic started, because there really wasn't an option in the early 2020 period. Right. But being an orthopedic surgical center, actual in-person meetings are vital because for us human beings, it's really hard to pinpoint what our issue really is over the phone or over video. Like as an example, if you have a sprained knee, can a patient tell our surgeon that it's a torn ACL or is it an MCL or a PCL or is that a muscle strain? No, it's really difficult for them to describe it other than it hurts or, right. oh my God, I can't move my leg. So 
they do need to come in and that's when we could take the scans and 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 really pinpoint what the actual issue is and then we talk about the solution or the next steps at that point. And a lot of times it doesn't even require a surgical procedure, which by the way, surgery is the last option. Obviously there are a number of ways to remedy these conditions that folks you know go through, but we also have some of the the world's best surgeons here at ProLion, so so I, I do know they will get taken care of one way or the other. So so there's a lot of things like that and countless other things on the administrative side, on the nursing side, even the physician assistant side of things that serve the surgeons a little differently than how we used to. And I feel it's a lot more efficient. And, and more importantly, we also eliminated some of the manual workarounds because we were forced to automate a few things. And that also helped lot of our clinical staff as well. Yeah, that's that's great. And I'm curious, one of the things that we talk about across industries when we talk about the pandemic is that the outcomes from the pandemic from a technology perspective, we didn't necessarily create or even in some cases acquire new technology. We leveraged what we had. We had things already on the roadmap that really got accelerated. I'm curious from a ProLiance perspective, how much of that how much of what you did, like the registration and some of the things that you mentioned, how much of it was we can take the tools we currently have in the technology and we can tweak them to give us that outcome based on what we saw versus we have to introduce and bring in all new technology to be able to now get to where we want to get. Did you see a lot of that dynamic? Yeah. Just like a lot of folks uh, back, in the, back in 2020, we were actually forced to do that. Sure. Because of the uncertain future, uh, revenue stream was affected, obviously, and profits were a big concern. So last thing any of us had in our mind was to invest in new things at the time. Right. So we were either forced or motivated to kind of look back to what we already have. And are we truly leveraging it the way it was designed or the way we presented it before that initial investment was made? And we found a lot of opportunities to optimize and I got to also be honest with you, the vendors also stepped up and kind of opened up what what else they can do for us, whether that's via technology or even their professional services, and helped implement things without heavy investments. So I can honestly tell you that, that we started to lever leverage certain platforms. As a rough example, if we're leveraging it at around 60 65%, in 2019, by 2021, we were leveraging it at around 80, 85%. And, and that not only helped improve the workflows, but it also lessened the workload for staff supporting the platforms. And then also, we felt better as stewards of this organization, knowing we are leveraging the investments fuller than we used to, and gives us a, I would say, a new view into what else we need to invest down the road. Because it gave us truly what we were, what we had under our coverage now, and, and what was missing or what is missing today, and then that, um, and when you kind of take that approach, that comprehensive approach and more accurate approach, the stakeholders stakeholders appreciate it because they know we've done our due diligence and we're only getting what we truly need, versus at times we get it for sake of getting it and hope that it does what it's supposed to do. So some a paradigm shift like that did occur for us, and I'm sure with a lot of our peer groups out in the industry. Oh, yeah. I mean, I hear about it all the time, not just within 
healthcare, but other industries as well. The, the other thing that comes across too, across industries is you can't just stop the business for a number of reasons. And so uh, what a lot of executives, what I've heard a lot of executives say is one of the ways that they ended up in a better place after the pandemic rather than before is because they took a look at this as you can't just stop everything, but what you have to do is continue to create new value. And for those that found new value, in the case of healthcare, found new ways to interact with patients yeah. where you know you have a little bit of that, I hate to say brand loyalty because it's healthcare, but you had a patient that says, you know what? I use ProLiant Surgeons in this case. I was able to do X, Y, Z. They made it easy for me. And then ultimately, if they need surgery, I feel great. Then I'm going to continue using ProLiant Surgeons. And, and I kind of heard the same thing across industry, and it was fascinating that that after a pandemic that you can end up in a in a place that in some cases like I said CIOs have said we were better in after the pandemic than we were before because we learned new lessons we implemented it and now not only are we ready if for whatever reason something like that comes across again but we've also created new customers in the process because of it so I just think it's fascinating yeah, one of my employees actually reminded me to see the light, you have to go through a darkness. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was rough. Um, I'll be honest with you, me personally, just not knowing what the future held. And at the time when we literally had to shut down in early 2020, it was nothing like we've ever gone through. So yeah, it was difficult for many of us and especially for those who uh, were what we call on standby. These were sure. folks that weren't getting laid off, but because there was no work, you know, we had they had to be on what we call standby. And it was very difficult for many families because of that, not only in our company, but across the board. But then the vaccine came out. Then we understood more about the virus itself. And a lot of these protocols that were implemented as a reaction were controlled and managed much better. And we were a lot more educated about it. And I think, like you said, we are seeing the light now right? from what we have to go through. And we learned quite a bit, not only about the pandemic and all that, but also learned a lot about ourselves and our companies. And many of us are doing things a lot differently, obviously, with different mindsets. Yeah, I think it's amazing the insights we were able to develop, regardless of how bad of a situation it was across the board. Let's um let's talk a little bit more about privacy as it relates to patient outcomes. We talked a little bit about it a few minutes ago. When you look at focusing on improving patient outcomes, how do you reconcile that against compliance with privacy laws, for example? Because obviously, as we said a few minutes ago, that's that's huge. I'm curious what the mindset is other than we have to do it for a number of reasons. But from a more pragmatic perspective, how do you mm. think about it? Well, it's definitely not the easiest easiest things. And it's uh, one of the first things that we're asked in healthcare technology. And a lot of the reactions are like, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer to that. right? Many of us do it differently. Some take the Rambo approach and try to lock everything down, which doesn't work, as we all know. Right. Uh, certainly will not work for us, but at the same time, we have to protect them the same way. So a term like uh, zero trust is overspent, in my my opinion, in healthcare. 
everybody wants something like that, but it's also not realistic. What are you giving up and sacrificing when you do try to do things like that? So we tried to pick off the best practices like uh, multi-factor authentication. That's also painful, but we were able to implement that across the board. And we needed uh, physician champions to get some of that across the finish line. And a lot of these uh, leaders used examples of what they use personally. When you log into your mobile banking application, as an example, I don't know if any bank does not force you to use multi-factor authentication. You have to wait for that code. And, and same with a lot of these critical online applications. You have an option, but some are also mandated to use multi-factor authentication. So we had some physician champions to press that and show that as an example. And we were able to get that across the finish line. And then those things that they don't really see, those are layer security technologies like endpoint protection system, advanced threat detection and threat hunting applications, edge firewalls, web-based firewalls, core firewalls, all these things that are kind of taken for granted. We do we did need to manage these at the next level because you know this these threats are very clever and, and they're advancing right in front of our eyes. So these technologies to keep up with that. So we have uh, teams who are active in these products and who are overseeing monitoring, you know, short of outsourcing key components of it, it it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work and it's it's very taxing for these folks. So we try not to do everything. We try our best. And uh, more importantly, you know that, that term, it's not if it will happen, but when it will happen. When, right. So when that does happen, how do we make it a non-event for us? In other words, how do we protect ourselves internally? So when, quote unquote, it does happen, the damage is minimal, or we're able to quickly recover and continue our operations without impacting our clinical staff. So, so we kind of focus on both sides, external to try to keep the bad guys out, right? But internal to how to manage uh, a crisis if it does or when it does happen. So, so it's like a double prong. It's uh, very difficult because there's so many moving parts. But when you have good people and when you get some right help at the right time, it's definitely doable. How much pressure, for the lack of a better term, or demand do you get from your patients when it comes to privacy in terms of helping them feel comfortable that they can access their records securely, that you maintain them securely and so forth? Obviously, you're going to do what you need to do to protect it. One, because you're in a regulator industry, but two, because it's the right thing to do. But I'm just curious if if the actual patients, especially in a world where we try to balance security with ease of use and convenience. Mm -hmm. um, do you see that dynamic within your patient base at all? Or is, is it really a combination of what you do and what patients are asking for? Where does that sit in that continuum? You know, my first reaction to that question is uh, patients don't have to do that because the government's already doing that on their behalf. Right. In fact, many times more and, and many times more severe than a patient could even imagine. Right. And, and and that to me is a public statement that government itself is overseeing their citizens by keeping us on our toes that way. Uh, there are patients who reach out and ask those questions. And, and of course, they have the right to demand absolute security of their information. Absolutely. I mean, that's our job and we have to do our job. 
But do they always come to us and ask what our security settings are? Do they always come and ask us how we're going to protect their data? No, they don't necessarily do that. Right. Their, their objective is to get better. Sure. And the last thing they need to do is worry about their information getting leaked. So even that notion makes it even tougher for us and puts more pressure on us to go above and beyond to you know, protect these patients' information, right? Patient information. So it's a combination of that. It's a combination of what we want to do for the patients in, in plus what the government is mandating us to do. And uh, again, it's not easy, but if you're here in healthcare or IT, that is an expectation, Terry, that's non-negotiable. So, so we do our best. Sure. And it's interesting when it comes to privacy, you know, on one hand, when it comes to patient data, you need to ensure privacy. On the other hand, there's things that you can do with patient data, for example, with cancer research that it's interesting what we see in privacy enhancing technologies. I just did a, uh, an episode with an organization that is working on encryption that allows you to basically use data genomic data, for example, for cancer research without having to decrypt the data first mm. and therefore revealing what's in there. And it's fascinating to me when you think of that use case because otherwise uh, this data, because of the need for privacy and regulation, has to go through all kinds of legal challenges and so forth to yeah. be used for anything. And you start to think, what could we accomplish by taking that data maintaining privacy and still making it usable for us to create better diagnoses to make people feel better. So I think it's it's an interesting balance when we talk about privacy and, and so forth. So totally agree, Terry. Research data is at the end of the day still patient health information. And sure. you know, it could be treated differently than actual like a provider owned a patient health record. But it's still patient health record regardless, and we just need to continue to promote as such that all data, whether research or in practice, is still patient health records and, and treated as such. Sure. Now, you also have 80 physical locations, as I mentioned. When you look at implementing privacy policies and things like that for data, it's a little different than having a single clinic or a single hospital I would think it's a little easier than having 80 locations. How does technology play a role in almost a maybe cookie cutter approach to saying, I can do this at one, I can do it at 80, I can do it at 200 if we ever got to that? How do you think about something like that? Yeah, most part, cookie cutter could work, um, but we are a relatively disparate organization. So there are different ways of how data is collected and aggregated. But the common point is we have a single billing system and a practice management system that everything aggregates back to. And we have a centralized center that collects all of that and processes it as well. And we use tools like Tableau and Click to provide reports and dashboards back to the folks who are looking for that data. I guess the important thing is the data, data aggregation point. And the ability to aggregate the data, in other words, take dirty data and structure the data so we could actually make information out of that and, and have it available for those who are asking for that information. So we try to do that more, more in a stream way. Um, like I mentioned, we use uh, key vendors like uh, Click and Tableau to help us with a lot of that. 
but I think the key to make it as easy as possible is to identify a single data data aggregation process. And that's what we decided to do. And it's working out fairly well. Now, is it perfect? No, of course not. Nothing's perfect. And uh, we still have a ways to go to improve on that process. But that's also a combination of the vendor themselves to improve the software. And also our ability and our skill set needs to evolve to hopefully get to that fully automated and secure phase that we're all striving for. That's great. And and it's it's always good to hear of organizations that have sort of, um, especially within healthcare, yeah. that have sort of figured out how to balance all of these together, at least try to do the best job of balancing it so that you don't end up you know, not being able to get insights because you're so locked down on privacy. You're still able to get access without being so locked down in terms of physical access. You talked about zero trust and things like that. It's to still be able to derive insights out of that and, and to help your, your patients, your customers, and so forth. You talked a little bit about the technology, but what are your, from a requirement perspective, when you look at building a scalable, fully functioning network within a healthcare practice, within a healthcare industry, are there specific requirements that somebody in the retail industry, for example, wouldn't think about that are specific to the way you build out your physical network, for example? You know, I'm I'm sure there are, but what they are escapes me right now. Okay. I mean, there are certainly a number of things that we looked outside to bring in the house. So as a as an example, our cybersecurity and architectural protocols come from a federal government a standard called NIST, and we fully adopted that, and that's not necessarily healthcare. So so there are a number of things that we learned from that, as well as uh, my friends out in retail. And I have a friend out in public sector, as well as a colleague out in financial that we're definitely learning from. And then things that I guess I share with them is, you know, in healthcare, patient healthcare is number one. So although our financial friends have all these controls in place to lock down their information and data, we just cannot do it that easily because it gets in the way of healthcare. So one of the more drastic examples we use is in retail, if you screw up, yeah, you lose money. But in healthcare, if we screw up, we lose lives. Right. And you can't put prices on lives. It's devastating. Right. So we do have to take that extra step to make sure we're careful in what we do and in the approach we take. And that is one of the biggest reasons that there's this perception that healthcare is lagging in certain technolo technological advancement. But at the end of the day, you know, we're not too far off, to be honest with you. We've invested quite a bit in what we're trying to do. And, and we do know we're a target. When you look at the latest polls and, and data records, health information record is still the, one of the top things that the threat actors target. And we know that. And, and knowing is half the battle. And we do what we can with what we got. And then we make timely investments to improve on what we got. Do you think the fax machine is ever going to go away as a means to send information back and forth? Because I know I recently read an article about it and sort of the the pros and cons and why it's survived uh, for for so long. And I think it's, it's fascinating that it's the one thing that seems to just be resistant. But, but I think it's resistant because it serves a specific purpose 
that works. And I think part of it is with everything else going on, if it works, let's just continue using it. But it's just interesting to see it within this world of digital transformation and all the ways we can communicate that it still persists. I think there are those things that will remain for a long, long time. And I would say fax is one of them. Right. I think gasoline cars will be here for a long time also, <laughs> although they say EVs sure. quickly taking over. Sure. I doubt that. Sure. So, yes, that is a pain point. I do acknowledge. <laughs> However, there are a number of reasons for that. Like you said, it works. Yeah. And it's uh, economical because sure. all you need is a POTS line right. for 30, 40 bucks a month and you got unlimited fax. Right. And and people will say, why don't you just convert everyone to those electronic faxing services? Well, as much as we would love to, they charge you per page. Right. And some of these folks have no idea how many pages some of these places generate. Right. So so there's a lot of things to take in consideration before you even make that decision. But I believe what's the trend that we are seeing is uh, these so-called UCAS providers, these cloud Telecom companies are adding fax services as part of their allowance of phone services. They're adding on top of uh, what they already provide, including toll, long distance, and all of that. And that could be the way to go. It's definitely more secure, definitely more manageable and organized. And you don't have the risk of sensitive faxes sitting on top of a machine in the hallway somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Right, where anyone could just pick up and start reading it. Exactly. So, it's definitely on our radar and the radars of many of my peers and many organizations in healthcare. But like you said, Terry, that's just one example of a few things that we have on our radar to address. Yeah, that's good to hear. Like I said, I literally just read an article on that and it's just fascinating. You know, we talk about what the industry and, and ProLiance has done in terms of patient to doctor communication. How do you streamline, how have you looked at streamlining communications between the doctors, for example, outside of the EHR system where you can go in and you can look up a particular record? Are there other things that from a physician to physician communication that you guys have done? That's where the referral network comes in handy. When we get referrals from a primary physician, that communication needs to take place. Right. And having a common EMR electronic or medical record platform platform is the key. And when patients utilize their patient portal to not only access their information, but request certain things, that's also opened up. And that connects organization to organization for a more unified approach. So, so that's definitely taking off a lot more than it did even 10 years ago when I was at the Providence Health and Services. It was still at the infancy stage, but now we've advanced quite a bit. And not only that, politically, I think uh, organizations are truly embracing the benefits of doing that. There's there's privacy concerns organization to organization, absolutely, because no no one wants to be blamed for anything, right? If there's any kind of an incident or bridge, you don't want to be part of that. But that aside, the benefits are so huge that if they could collaborate more, open up more, and connect and interface more, at the end of the day, a patient will benefit that much more. And I think a lot of folks acknowledge that. So, so, so there's our component of it. And even the vendors, our EMR partners like NextGen, Cerner, Allscripts, they're all over that. They want yeah. to talk yeah. to each other. Now, will Epic do that? I don't know. Yeah, but I think it's important that we continue to try to break out of silos 
because the more that there could be communication across all those channels, then the more robust the outcomes would be. When you look at things like mobile health, wearable devices, AI, robotic process automation, and so forth, when you look at those trends, you know what are you the most excited about? Is there anything that you're, you, you've been talking about or implemented along the lines of some of those next-gen technologies? I think the, the current uh, generation of, of population or patient population is demanding a lot more sure. of that. They, they right. want to be more proactive and they want more control over their health. And what better way than actually monitor on a daily basis with these wearables and yeah, mobile devices telling where you are on the health scale, right? It's very convenient. But we also cater to the generation that did not have that when they were younger or when they were growing up. And they're still dependent on, on these healthcare providers for their health. So, so it's a combination of the two. And it's not easy for the prior generation to adopt to these. It's too much. It's a lot that they have to do and go out of their way to start utilizing it. And frankly, if you screw up on this, it could really de be detrimental to the older population. So, so there's some sensitivity to that as well. And we're very careful in that. As a CIO and as a technologist, I'm excited for new technologies. And I'm excited to see these wearable things that you have on your wrist and see on your mobile phone and it tracks your activities and all of that. But not everyone is like us. They have other things to focus on. They, they, and that's why they call us so that they could rely on us for their health and health tracking and management. So we're all about balance and we're all about it's right for some, but not for all. But we'll respect both and, and we'll be neutral to whichever direction they want to go to. Yeah, it's, it's amazing the impact that some of those technologies, especially with wearables, from a personal perspective, as a diabetic, having to prick your finger multiple times a day, not fun. And I remember the first time I got one of the wearable sensors that not only, you know, it's the thickness of two quarters and about as big as quarters. And, you know, I could scan it with my phone and it sends the information to my doctor. It, it's a game changer just on a, on a pragmatic day-to-day -day basis. And so uh, it's always interesting to hear how, you know, CIOs like yourself and the industry is approaching those because I think it's not only easier potentially for a doctor, in my case, my primary care physician, to be able to look at some of that data and say, hey, you're doing great, or hey, I noticed this, we should talk. It's very proactive rather than reactive. So I think that's, it's interesting where we're going with that. Let's go into the world according to Kurt a little more. We talked about, you know, I opened up with the deficiencies and gaps that we've seen in, in healthcare and their transformation. And you noted that you know, we're better off now than we have been and we continue to make progress and so forth. Sure. If tomorrow you're appointed the fixer of the healthcare system, hmm. what would you say would be three things that you would focus on immediately from your purview as an IT executive, somebody's done this for a long time, lots of colleagues you talk to, what are the three things that you think you would fix immediately. There are no wrong answers, by the way. This is just me trying to get inside of Kurt's head to see what you would do if you were king for a day, as they say. Uh, <laughs> well, there's 
couple of things right off the bat, and the third one was kind of, is a little bizarre, so I'll save that for last. The first okay. one is you should be able to go anywhere, and you should have the results right there. And then right. no tests, no waiting for tests, no waiting for specialists, minimize referrals. You know, why can't you go into a healthcare center and let them tell you what your issue is? Right. You know, Terry, you have an issue, you go to an emergency room and you're going to have to wait for a specialist or you're going to be referred to a specialist. You got to wait a week for blood tests to come back or whatever test. Oh, my God. It, it's, it's a lot of work for any patient to go through, especially when they're sick. So, so Terry, uh, if I had a magic wand, how can a patient get healthy on that initial visit? That, that's one. Right. Two, oh my God, the costs. And yeah. I'm, I'm a CIO, so I shouldn't care about costs, but I do care about costs. You know, why is uh, the healthcare in America so expensive? Why isn't there a way to manage or control that so that any patient anywhere who is sick is able to get good quality care without having to worry about finances or without having to worry about how to pay? And there's just so much charity care can go. There are organizations that provide charity care, but there's a limit to that, right? Especially when these are big procedures. But why are they so expensive to begin with? And I know why, but I, I won't divulge sure. into that. Sure. And then the third item is I, I go back to my days watching Star Trek The Next Generation. You know, how Dr. Crusher is able to just pull up a tricorder and tell you exactly what your issue is. Yeah. And she pulls out a pen that fixes you right there. Right. And when she does surgical procedures, it's done in a few minutes. And the patient gets up and what happened? Right. That easy. And that definitive and that level of quality without, you know, complexity of today's healthcare. Right. Will we ever get there? I know it's just science fiction, but... Hey, the tricorder was science fiction in the 60s, but hey, we got the iPhone. Right. Hey, uh, the little lights that they used to use. We got an iPhone with the light bulb in it now. You know, there are a lot of things that Star Trek showed us that can be done. Yeah. And I believe that is one of the things that can be done for sure. Uh, transporters, no. Warp cores and warp travel, no. Starships that are massive, like, the enterprise, no, not in my time at least, but healthcare, hmm. you should see some of those episodes and see how seamless and easy things are in the 24th century. So I would love to see something like that in my lifetime. As, as another fellow Star Trek fan, we should just do an episode called Healthcare in, in the Age of Next Generation. Yeah. I, think, I think part of what that speaks to as well, Kurt, is... <clears throat> I think, and it, this isn't just healthcare, I think in general, um, I think we need a certain level of audacity to say, what if? I mean, if you look at some of the things we've already done, the electric vehicle, for example, oh, yeah. you know, can you create a vehicle that has all the styling and the range and everything else of a, of a gas-powered vehicle? And the answer is, yes, you can. Can you improve it? Sure. But the audacity of saying we can achieve something like that and then doing it, I think is great. And I think within healthcare, you know, the the cost of care and the ease of access and things like that. I think there's a certain level of audacity to say, what if you could do this? And then, you know, work towards 
trying to do that at some point. Maybe not in our lifetime, but I think that's a that's an interesting thing to kind of daydream about. And, and Terry, there are a lot of people saying that. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is great. It's really hard to see that movement, right? I right. guess we need uh, someone like uh, uh, Steve Jobs who said, I want an iPhone. Right. Way back when, you know, mobile phones were just bricks, right? Or a nicer and more politically savvy Elon Musk saying, I want more electric vehicles on the road. Right. Right. So yeah. I guess we need visionaries like that, a lot more of them to move this thing forward. Yeah, it's exciting times for sure. My my last question for you, Kurt, if we were to have another discussion, say at the end of the year, the beginning of next year, yeah. what's the one thing you would say you would like to see what's sort of your big bet within your own role within ProLiance that you'd like to be able to say, Terry, last time we spoke, we talked about X. Boy, am I excited. Here's what we've been able to do. Is there one thing? We do have a big uh, initiative for the first time here that we're working on, and uh, I, I will not disclose the details, but sure. it does involve a lot more cloud uh, action, I'll call it, Sure. where we were very conservative about that in the, in the past. And we're very excited that we have a partner that we're working with to achieve that vision for us. And once that's achieved, it's, it will resolve a number of issues that we, you and I discussed today. And not only that, provide the, continue to provide the value to our clinical staff, reduce expenses, and then it also opens up our door as the IT group to do things that we could not do before. So when you talk to me in December, I may be in a better mood, smiling more, more confident going into 2024 and say, hey, uh, Terry, we achieved what I said we were going to do. And then I might be able to actually share more details at that time, too. That's a heck of a cliffhanger to end this episode with, Kurt. I appreciate that. Thank you again for taking the time. I'm excited for what you do, not only within ProLiance Surgeons, but in terms of being a big thinker that likes to talk to other folks about how how we get better, how we improve. And certainly within healthcare, in, in some cases, it's more paramount than in all industries. And so I think if there's any areas that any industries that require that type of thinking, healthcare is certainly one. So again, I, I appreciate the time and the insights, and I do look forward to having a follow-up discussion and see where we are from there. Terry, I had a great time. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, it was great talking with you. Thanks for joining another episode of Light Data Action. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. You can also follow us on Twitter at Light Data Action and for more Lumen news at Lumen Tech Co. As always, we'd love to get your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on the show. And I hope you'll join us next time for another conversation.